even now is still the best thing I've ever done for my business, really, for all sorts of reasons. Your business can more or less double without any effort whatsoever. Like, why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me that? I don't even know that. It's how much? I have a very simple rule of selling, Darren. It's what I call my ABC. So A... On today's episode of The Engaging Marketeer, I am speaking to somebody who was awarded the title of Britain's Sales Trainer of the Year. This guy is an absolute genius when it comes to selling. His name's Andy Bounds. He has written three extremely successful books on selling, and one of them was kept off Amazon's number one spot by Harry Potter, of all books, would you believe? And I saw Andy speak many years ago in part of the the, the lead program that I was on at the time, and one tip that Andy gave during that talk completely transformed our proposal process here at EngageWeb. So I'm going to be talking to Andy about how you sell, how you build rapport, how you close, how you do proposals, and how you turn leads into sales. If you're looking to grow your business, if you're looking to get more clients into your business, if you're looking to train your sales teams, this is the podcast for you. One thing I wanted to, to say at the start, Andy, um, I, I saw you speak a couple, well, I say a couple of years ago, it was many years ago, um, on part of the, I think it was called the lead program that good friend of oh, mine, yeah, yeah. John Drysdale, um, was, yeah. was, was running. And one of the things that you said when I saw you speak actually got us at Engage Web to change our proposal system. Oh, cool. Which, which was, I'm, I'm always been thankful for you for that. Um, and it was the fact that you talked about when people do proposals for businesses, they often top heavy it about themselves. Yeah. Um, and that was the thing that we had in our original proposals, I am horrified to say. So the first sort of section was about Engage Web, about our history mm-hmm. and who we are and what mm-hmm. we do. So after yeah. hearing you speak, we switched the whole thing around, cut that right down and put it put it right at the back. So I've always been thankful for you on, on doing that for us because I think that was a, a really great tip that you you gave when we did when we saw you speak that day. Cool. So what what sort of other tips can you remember that the, the kind of things that you were giving in talks such as like at the the lead program and um, so there's various things that you can do but the most important thing is two things really number one make sure you're trying to set up a call with someone who you want to speak to and they want to speak to you so there needs to be a good connection between you and secondly you can do a couple of things before to maximize the odds of them turning up so let's have a look at the first one of those things so you should know who your ideal target market are and as a general rule of thumb customers you want to like the customers you've got so if you already do loads of work with banks then try and get more banks yeah if you do lots of work with professional services like lawyers and accountants try and get more of them so make sure you're going for people who are the sort of people you want to work with and also who people who need your stuff so i obviously do sales training uh, amongst other things so i don't really want to be trying to sell sales training to somebody who doesn't ever sell anything so as long as that you want to talk to them and they want to talk to you, that's the first thing. Now, of course, you can maximize your chance of these things working by using your contact sphere to help you. So if you want to uh, have a meeting with my dad because you've got something that he might want and he, you think that he would like that, um, how could you get in contact with him? Well, you could cold call him, you could speak to him through LinkedIn, or you can just ask me to introduce you. 
And almost always asking someone to introduce you is the best way of getting an appointment with someone, what posh people call referrals and normal people call using your mates to introduce you to somebody else. Mm. So if you want to speak to my dad, you come to me and say, Andy, would you mind introducing me to your dad? I set that up. Now, can you see straight away, dad is more likely to turn up to that meeting. He might not know you very well. He might not like you, might not even know your name, but he loves his son. So he's more likely to turn up just because he trusts you because he trusts me. So that's the first thing, all right? So if you can, go through referral. If you can't go through referral, do a bit of due diligence. Find someone who's probably going to want to speak to you. But the second thing, what can you do beforehand to maximize the chance of them actually picking the phone up? Mm. So if you think it's in the bag and they'll definitely take your call, you don't need to do what I'm about to say. But if you think there's any doubt that they are actually going to be there, what you do is you drop them a little line, email, little note through LinkedIn, however you like to do these things, text if you've got their mobile number. And basically you say something along the lines of, you know how later on we're speaking about topic X, the thing they agreed to have the call with you about? Well, I've done a bit of research with some of my most successful customers and I've got a couple of pieces of advice I think you'll find helpful. Looking forward to seeing you later. Bye. And so in effect, you're forewarning them, I've got something of use to you. And if you do that, you can see I've done a bit of research. I found some useful stuff out for you. That shows that I'm putting some effort in already. It shows I've got something of value, and it's very hard for people to decline that. So this is a bit of a long, ranty answer. Let me go much shorter. Number one, referrals mean they're most likely to do it anyway. And then number two, tantalize them when you've got something of value to them, and it means it's very unlikely they'll cancel the call. Right, that's brilliant. That, that, that was a lot more in-depth than I was expecting. Um, it's interesting you talk about referrals and getting people who know them to introduce you. Like, like Obviously, you're not, not always going to have the relationship with somebody's dad. But I know mm-hmm. you, you were in, in B&I as well. So I've had yeah. Terry Hamill on this podcast, and he, I told him that you were coming on. He says hello, by the way. And hello, Terry. I spoke to David Williams, the executive director for B&I uh, Cheshire West, on, on the weekend, mm-hmm. and he, he says hello as well. Um, everybody seems to know you. It's about relationships, isn't it? So how, would, how did B&I work for you, and how did you get involved with that? Well, B&I was probably even now, is still the best thing I've ever done for my business, really, for all sorts of reasons. Um, And what happened was uh, I was working for someone else at the time. Uh, I was doing financial training, actually, a bit of a a jump from what I'm doing now. Um, And I was talking to one of my friends, uh, and I'd recently got divorced, and I was saying to one of my friends, like, I never knew that when you got divorced, like, all your joint friends wouldn't be your joint friends anymore. And I was like, I need new friends. And we were having a chat, and I said, like, where should I go for new friends? And she goes, well, do you want business new friends, or do you want, like, you know, new friends? And I said, well, I don't really know. And it was one of these weird conversations. And then she said, well, of course, there's B&I. And I said, what's B&I? So it's one of those things that it sort of came about because I hadn't even heard of B&I, and I, I might not have ever had that conversation if I hadn't got divorced about six months before I was talking to my friend Jan once. <laughs> uh, and she said, well, just go to a meeting and see what you think. So I went along. And it's a bit like, you know, some people say when they go into the house of their dreams, they walk through the front door and they think, oh, this is our future house. Mm. And some people, when they first go into a a religious building, think, oh, yes, I'm now at peace. Well, I found it was almost like that. I walked through the door at B&I and I thought, oh, this is is me. This is absolutely (laughs) me. And I just loved it. And what I did was um, I I, went to B&I. I really enjoyed it. I threw myself into it. I got passionate for meeting lots of people. But the more I got into it, the more I realized that B&I 
um, its strength is its weakness. So its strength is it gets you lots of referrals. So you have these wonderful face-to-face meetings with your dream referral. But that's just, that's all it does. That's its weakness. Because its weakness is you might mess it up when you get there. <laughs> so you might think, hooray, I'm now in front of the CEO of Microsoft. And you open your mouth and say, we were founded in 1922. And here's a map of our offices that you don't care about Microsoft. And so what I realized with BNI is it's absolutely brilliant up to a point, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't show you how to turn referrals into sales. Hmm. And so that was like my moment where I suddenly thought, oh yeah, there's, there's a, I can help people here. And so BNI was brilliant for me because it gave me lots of referrals, but also it opened my eyes to a thing that a lot of business people were missing. Hmm. And when, obviously when you joined for the first time, nobody knew who you were which is the case for everybody who joins a BNI group for the first time. Maybe the person who introduced them knows them, but mostly they don't. So what, what mm-hmm. advice can you give on building credibility within a, a networking referral meeting like that? Um, two things. Uh, number one, don't do anything stupid, which I know sounds really daft, but a lot of people do stupid things in all walks of life. I mean, not just BNI, in all walks of life. So, for example, they'll organise a one-to-one with you, do you still call it a one-to-one, you know, yeah. like outside the meeting? You yes, we do, yeah. And then what they'll do is in the morning, they'll say, oh, something's come up, so I need to postpone. And the other person will go, oh, never mind, these things happen. I hate that. That's doing something stupid, I think. Like, mm-hmm. if you put something in the diary, you keep it in the diary. Um, my, I remember my parents telling me off as a teenager, they say, like, because I'd let down one of my mates who I was supposed to meet, and they say, what's happened is you said, I'm sorry I can't come because of a subsequent engagement. But not a prior engagement, a subsequent one came up that was better than you. So first thing with BNI, just don't do anything stupid, which a lot of people do do things stupid. So that helps you like stand out from that. But the other thing is, what you want to do is you want to offer ever more value to ever more valuable people. So those wonderful names you just mentioned for BNI, um, what happened was, because I was able to help lots of people in BNI, I would go to speak to someone like Terry and say, Terry, I think I've got a real useful thing to to help BNI members with how to turn referrals into sales. I know BNI works on Give Us Get. I'm not I don't want to be paid for it at all, but I would like to spread the thing out um, further than just my 30 people in the chapter. How would you advise I do that? And we had a bit of a chat and he said, well we have regional training sessions. Why don't you do 10 minutes at one of them? And so I did that and then that went well and I said, oh, I've really enjoyed that Terry. Who else do you think will be interested? And he says, well I've got a, a peer of mine over in the Yorkshire region, a guy called Niru Patel. Why don't you have a chat with him? And that went well. So I told to Niri, like, if, who else do you think would help? And they said, well, Niri said, well, I know Martin and Gillian, who were the people who were in charge of being out of the country at the time. And so it's basically word of mouth, right? Mm. And so what happened was, then I went to Martin and Gillian and said, oh, go on, you do a little 10 minutes then if you want, Andy. And then that went well. And they said, I'll tell you what, we'll introduce you to Ivan Mice and we'll fly you over to America and you can do the thing for everybody if you want. And so I think it helps that hopefully I had something that was useful. But I just was proactively asking like, you know, what would you do if you were me? Like, who could you introduce me to? Who else would find this stuff helpful? Mm. And so often when we have our own business on our own agency, we spend so much of our efforts rightly focusing on the customer. We never put our heads up and ask one of two critical questions, either how else can I help you? Or who else do you know who'd also find this helpful? Mm. And if every business owner in the world asked, how else can I help? Or who else do you know who'd find this valuable? Imagine if you ask that every single day. How else can I help you? Who else do you know who would find this valuable? Your business could more or less double without any effort whatsoever. 
That's interesting because that, that, that's one of the things that um, I'm involved in utility warehouse as well. That's one of the things that they uh-huh, teach yeah. you straight away is whenever you get a, a customer or you've signed up and you're happy, you ask them, who else could we help with benefit? Who And what else can we do for you? Because it's selling additional services and it's getting referrals. You don't ask for the referrals, you won't get them. But Yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? I think people often think that if I do good work, the referrals will magically come. Well, mm-hmm. that's not the case. I mean, we're very lucky we've got a garden and we're very, very lucky we've got a guy who does the gardening for us. But as I talk to you now, I've just realized, even though I love Robin, I see him every Friday when he does our garden. I've never once said to him, Rob, would you like me to get you any referral business? Because <laughs> I don't look at him through the prism of how can I help this wonderful supplier who I love. Yeah. I just think, oh, good, Rob's here, so he'll do me loans. And that's the thing. So we might think we're the best agency in the world, or we might think we're the best sales trainer in the world, but like, I'm not any better at sales training than Rob is at gardening, but mm. I don't look at Rob through the referral prism. So we have to proactively ask that question. And the the way I really like to ask is rather than say, can you give me a referral, Darren? Because it sounds like, can you give me a lift, Darren? Can you help me hit my sales target, Darren? What I'm basically saying is, you know what I do helps, Darren, right? Because sales go up. Like, so when I work with people, their sales go up. Who do you know who want their sales to go up? And the minute you say, oh, my brother Colin, well, I go, well, how would you advise I approach Colin? Oh, I'll just introduce you, Andy. And so rather than saying, could you give me a referral for my business? Instead, I'm saying, who do you know who would benefit from what I do? And the minute you say, well, my brother Colin, it means the referral is more likely because yeah. you can see Colin's going to benefit. But if I ask by saying, could you give me a referral? Well, you might think, well, I like Colin more than I like you, Andy, so I'm not going to do that. See, that, oh, that that's again, that's brilliant what you've said there because that, that ties in with something Ivan Meisner said when he was talking about you on one of his BNI podcasts. So I don't know that you know that he mentions you quite a lot on his podcasts, and he was talking oh, about when I you were—he's <laughs> lovely, isn't he? He was saying that <laughs> Andy Bounds talks about the afters, what you're going to get yeah. after they've done business with you, and that's something I—I I need to get across to people in in my chapter because I'm doing an education slot in a couple of weeks on how to get more referrals. Because when people stand yeah. up in B and I and they say, "Oh, I'd like an introduction to a company that runs a fleet of vehicles," because obviously that's going to be a benefit to me. Why is it of benefit to them? How can people yeah. stand up and ask for a referral so that others can introduce them in a way that it's of benefit to the person they're introducing? What can they do? Yeah, it's such a good point. That I mean, uh, two points there. One of them is about afters, just to make sure we're really clear with everyone what afters mean. So afters is something, I like the way that Ivan has charmingly said, I mention it a bit. Uh, <laughs> other people say, I bang on about it all the time. Because yeah. basically my simple point is this, nobody wants what we do, they only want why they're better off after we've done it, you know? So nobody wants my sales training, nobody wants to talk to me at all, it's quite devastating really. But what they want is after I've done it, they want the sales to go up, or they want to get more referrals, or they want the proposal success rate to go up, or they want the sales team to hit the target, or they want to be able to not have to work weekends because everything's easier for them now. So nobody wants me, they they want what happens after me. So that's really important. So anyone listening to this, it's worth just having a think and like, why are people better off after you? Do you help them get more money? Do you help reduce their costs, reduce their risk? Do you help them have more fun? Do you help them look good to their boss? Do you help them have a better work-life balance? Like, because that's what they're interested in. If I'm talking to a website company, what will normally happen is a website company will say, let me show you the websites we've done for other people. And they shouldn't do that. They should say, what would you like to happen to your business after someone goes on your website? Hmm. I want sales to go, oh, well, we can help you do that, blah, 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 blah. So nobody wants the website they want what happens after the website so that's the first thing and then the second thing is you say from a bni point of view but indeed any referral point of view 
there's three things I need to know. Number one, specifically, who do you want to go and speak to? Right, so some of the flavor vehicles. Number two, specific afters. Why will they be better off after that? Because you can reduce their cost and reduce their risk or whatever it might be. And then number three, what should I say to my mates who owns affiliated vehicles to see if they want to speak to you or not? So they're the three things I want to know. Who do you want? Fleet of vehicle owner. Why are they better off? Because it will save them loads of money. And what should I say to introduce you? And probably I'm going to say something like, um, you know, your fleet of vehicles, given what's happening with the cost of living at the minute, is your fleet of vehicles as cheap to run as you'd like it to be? Not really. Well, the reason I ask you is one of my mates who I meet every Tuesday morning is expert at helping people that are that would you want me to set up an introduction and so it just sounds really nice right really helpful mm, yeah. so if you tell me you want to speak to a, um, a fleet of vehicles but that's all you tell me then when i go and speak to them i don't really know what to say and i don't really know why they're better off after you and it almost sounds like i'm on commission for you trying to help my bni mate <laughs> but if i say instead you know your fleet of vehicle is it as cheap as you want it to be i'm sorry to hear that i ask because i know someone who might well it means referrals are much more likely to work no, that's awesome. Um, I think that'll really help me when I'm doing this in a couple of weeks' time because there's, there's so many people, they just stand up and they say who they're looking for and they just talk about why they want to look talk to them. And yeah. that, that doesn't help you at all. It, it really doesn't help you get, get referrals. Um, from a purely selfish point of view, you talked about, from, you, from my purely selfish point of view, you talked about proposals there and, and that's something that we, we do a lot for, for clients in terms of getting new websites or, or digital marketing. What key things do you think need to be in proposals for them to work? Um, so two or three things. Um, firstly, three words, confirmation, not exploration. So when you do a proposal, confirmation, not exploration. So really, Darren, what I mean by that is your proposal should put in writing what you've already confirmed verbally. They shouldn't be exploring anything new. All right. Mm. So confirmation, not exploration. Confirm what you've already agreed verbally. Don't explore anything new. Now, what I mean by this is, let's say you were sending me a proposal and I have a look at page number one and you say, Andy Bounds is a market leading, blah, blah, blah. I thought, well, I know that. It's on my website and I wrote it. And then page number two says, you know, you were founded in 1922. And then page number three, page number four. And I think it's a bit boring, this. And then you tell me about three or four things you could do for me as a business and you're exploring things on this piece of paper. And then you tell me on page number 93 what the price is. And it's like the whole thing's a surprise to me. Like, why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me that? I don't even know that. It's how much? And so if instead, if you can have a really good conversation and confirm everything verbally, your proposal is really nice and short, all right? Because in effect, it says, I really enjoyed our chat the other day. This is what we agreed is going to happen. Number one, your afters you want to achieve this. Bang, bang, bang. Number two, how I'll deliver these for you is this. Bang, bang, bang. Number three, as we agreed when we spoke last week, the price is 500 pounds. Number four, to accept this proposal, just sign page two and get it back to me and then we can start. And so when you have a look at the proposal, it's like, we've already agreed all this, Andy. I've agreed what the afters are. I've agreed the work you're going to do. I've agreed the price I'm paying. And I've agreed that I'll sign page two and get it back to you. So that confirmation, that exploration, it sounds obvious, Darren, but most people don't do it. Most people's proposal is basically a guess. It's like a 10-page, here's some stuff we haven't even spoken about yet. So that's rule number one. And rule number two I've alluded to there is afters first. So we spoke before, didn't we, about how many people and how you used to start your proposal by talking about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So this is us. We've been around for ages. Here's a map of the office series. Blah, 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 blah. And on page 10 it says, and by the way, we can help make you £100 million. 
Well, that's the afters. After it's 100 million pounds. What you do is you want to flip it, say the afters first. So the title of the proposal is how I hope you make 100 million pounds. And then the next section is, as we agreed in our conversation last week, you want to get an extra 100 million pounds and we can help you do this. This proposal explains how we're going to do it. And the next section says, this is the deliverables you'll get to make sure you get 100 million pounds. All right. And so they're the two things I would focus on with anyone listening to this. Agree everything verbally before you write it down. All right. Don't be exploring new stuff in a proposal. And then secondly, make sure when you do write the proposal, you put afters at the beginning. Here's how you'll make 100 million pounds, hmm. not... I've been in business for 38 years. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so what you, what you say is uh, somebody shouldn't be getting a proposal that has anything you've not already talked about. And essentially the sale or the confirmation is done on the call or in the meeting. The proposal is just yes. the document for them to sign effectively. Yes, it's right. It, in fact, in any sentence in a proposal, really the customer ought to go, yeah, we've already talked about that. We've already talked about that. And, and some people, when they hear that, Darren, I mean, some people listening to this now will go, that's not what we do at all. Um, but all I would say to someone hearing this advice would be, even if you don't think you're that good at selling, I mean, you might think you're great, you might think you're rubbish, but even if you think you're the most rubbish salesperson in the world, trust me on this, you are better at selling than a piece of paper is. <laughs> all right? So if you need to convince me to give you 500 quid, your choices of how to do that are you tell me it's 500 quid or a piece of paper tells me it's 500 quid. And when the piece of paper tells me it's 500 quid, you aren't there to take any questions I've got about it. So if I was expecting 200 quid and it comes at 500 quid, I'd probably just ghost you because I think I'm not going to pay that much. And I know it sounds really obvious, but if you get nervous talking about things like price or you get nervous doing this, you're better off conquering those nerves and doing it verbally than hiding away from those nerves and just banging everything in a proposal. And I was talking to someone the other day, actually, and we were having a conversation, and the price for what she wanted was going to be between 25 and 30 grand. And so I said to her, um, this all sounds good. One thing I'm contrary, I haven't spoken about yet, is price. So can we just have a chat about that? And she said, yeah, I'm glad you raised that because our budget for this is 1,500 pounds. So her budget was 1,500 pounds. My price was like 20 times that or something, you know? And so I said, oh, I'm really glad we spoke about that because my price is, is so much higher than that. And... Um, can we just have a quick chat about it to see if there's any sort of happy ground? Can we take stuff away from the scope? Or, I mean, what do we do? And then what happened was we quickly realized she just didn't have the money for me. Not her fault, not my fault. And so I didn't write the proposal because we agreed verbally it wasn't going to happen. Hmm. Now, if I hadn't done that question, I would have gone back. I would have diligently written a 10-page proposal, sent it through, and she would have had to read the whole 10 pages, read the bottom, 25 grand, and thought, I've already got 1,500. So even though it feels uncomfortable to some people to talk about price, the most uncomfortable thing you can do, surely, is to write a proposal that we're just going to get on someone's nerves. Yeah, because then you're going to be trying to follow them up and they're going to try and duck your call because they don't want to tell you that they, they can't afford yeah, it. And, and they ghost you and they feel it's a bit mm. uncomfortable and so on. So, um, And now sometimes people say, but Andy, you seem much more comfortable talking about price than I do. So let's have a little chat about price. So firstly, remember people are paying not for you, they're paying for the afters of you. Mm. So I never think people are paying for, oh, I'll have two webinars with Andy Bounds, thanks. What I think people are buying is after I've done my stuff, their sales will go up, hopefully by hundreds of thousands of pounds or whatever the number is. So if their sales are going up by hundreds of thousands of pounds, I don't mind asking for 500, all right? So the thing is that they're not paying for you, they're paying for what happens after you. That's mm. really important to remember. But the second thing that's important when you talk about price, Darren, is if you're not comfortable talking about it, it's like anything, you have to practice it. 
So if you want to be good at the guitar, my understanding is you can't just look at a guitar and think that should do it. I mean, you actually need to strum away, right? <laughs> well, if you want to be good at saying my price is £500, you have to be in a room where nobody can hear you and say it's £500, it's £500, it's £500. If you want to do it, it's silly voices. It's £500! <laughs> and then when somebody says, Darren, how much is it? You go, it's £500, it just comes out. Mm. But the only way to get good at doing stuff verbally is to practice it verbally. Well, how many people listening to this podcast will go in a room on their own and say, it's 500 pounds, it's 500 pounds, it's 500 pounds. Nobody does it, mm. right? So the best way to feel more comfortable talking about price is, number one, remember the pain for the afters. That straight away makes you feel your price is good value for money. And secondly, just practice saying it out loud a few times. Now, imagine if you did that and you said the price was 500 quid. Then when I get your proposal in the price section, it goes, and as we agreed, the price is 500 pounds. And I go, yeah, I know that. You've already told me. So I'm less likely to ghost you now. So when when you're having a call with somebody, there's, there's a lot of things you should be getting up front, information-wise, before yeah. you go to a, a proposal. And obviously the price is one of the main things. You need to know that they've mm-hmm. got the money that, that you're going to be charging. Otherwise, yeah. it, it's pointless you you doing it. And as you say, some people are embarrassed to say their price because uh-huh. they don't feel um, that they're they're worth the time. Yeah, and that's always a problem because if you can't convince yourself you're worth your money, you're not going to be able to convince the customer, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so a good exercise to do, if you're not quite sure about this, because what people often do is they compare the price to something which is not very sensible in my eyes. They either compare the price to other people, they go, well, other agencies charge one grand for this, so we need to charge about a grand. They either think what other people are doing, or they think about their own inputs. Well, I'm going to spend like 10 hours on this and developer time is going to be this number of pounds per hour and stuff. So they either work out the price or try and justify the price in their mind by comparing it to the competition or their inputs. I don't do that. I work out my price based on the outputs. In other words, the afters, why people are better off after me. Mm-hmm. So if I've had some uh, conversation with someone and found what I'm going to do might bring about £50,000 of value to them, well, me charging a grand or two is nothing. It's not even a fly on the windscreen of 50 grand. It's nothing. Um, but if I look at what other sales trainers are providing, well, somebody else might be charging 500 quid. So I'm now worried that I'm charging 2,000 pounds. But I'm comparing 2,000 pounds to something stupid. Like, it's somebody else who maybe isn't as good as me. I don't. They're not as loud as me anyway. So <laughs> why would I compare my price to somebody else's? And also, if my customer pays me two, but they get about 50, well, I can look them in the eye and say that's fair enough. Yeah. So the thing to always work on your price with is compare it to the afters you get. And if you're not sure what those afters are, go and speak to a couple of customers who love you and say, please, could you help me understand what have you found most valuable of all the stuff we've done for you? Hmm. Yeah, what have you found most valuable about the work we did together last year? So just as we say in Liverpool, where I'm from, your desi mates, get your desi mate client <laughs> and just have a chat with them, buy them a cup of tea or whatever, hmm. and just say, of all the stuff we've done, what have you found most valuable? And when they say, well, you helped us get an extra 50 grand of sales, you'll quickly realize your price is fine. Do you know, that I'd never thought of it like that because obviously I've heard you talk about the afters before and I've always realized that the afters is what you're helping sell your services for to other people because it's what turns them on to it. Uh, but it's never occurred to me to think that actually, yeah, that's what sets your value as well. That's how you should mm-hmm. be approaching your own pricing structure. And I, I, I'm yeah, planning and to get it, a couple of our clients on on the podcasts as well in, in the next couple of months who've had really great results. And I was doing it purely to, to help talk to them. But the, the, the concept of them giving me the, the successes they've had then becomes a sales tool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which is something I and haven't And if realized. someone says that they've... It's, I mean, it's great, this, because if someone says they've got loads of value from it, what mm. could you do with that? Well, you could say, remember that question I said before, how else can I help you? So mm. it's great, you've got all this, how else can I help you? Or you might do the who else, that's great, you've got that. Who else do you know who you'd find those things valuable? Yeah, so it makes it really easy to do it. Um, if you don't want to ask for the upsell, you don't want to ask for the referral, you could ask for a testimonial. And if someone says, well, the best thing you've done for me, Darren, is that you've helped me do blah, blah, blah. And you can say, that's really good. But would you feel comfortable if I wrote down what you've just said, sent it to you for you to sign off? Because I'd love to actually use that as a testimonial on my website. Would that be fair? You know, so if you ask these questions that you're talking about here, you get a good chance of an upsell and or a referral and or at the very least a written testimonial talking about the value you cause. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, in addition to budget, what sort of things mm-hmm. should you be insuring when you're on a call or a meeting with somebody before you go to a proposal stage? Okay, so you want to agree the whole thing, really, um, before you go to the proposal. So I have a very simple rule of selling there, and it's what I call my ABC. So A, you need to know the afters they want, where they want to be after you. B, you then build their certainty you're going to get them there. So we've done it before. Let me tell you this story. Now let's have a look at how it's going to work with you. And then C, you need to close it off. So you've got afters, build certainty, and close it off. And that ABC approach, you use it when you're having your verbal discussions on the phone or face-to-face. So you ask questions, find the afters. You then build certainty by telling them stories and then agree a plan of work together. And then after you've done that, you then close it off. And that includes talking about the price, and agreeing the next steps and so on. So ABC is the way to do it. So afters, build certainty, and then close it off. And you'll notice I talk about price right at the end. So I won't talk about price until I've done the afters and the building certainty. Because if they say, oh, my word, that really is worth £50,000 to me, and I'm totally certain of it's Andy, then when I say my price is 2000 they go, fine. Yep. So ABC, that's how you do it verbally. Now, if you go through it verbally, your proposal will still follow the ABC format. So your A, right at the beginning, you'll start with the afters. Your title might even be how we can help you grow your business by 50 grand. Mm. Yep. And then the next bit, B, you build certainty by saying, this is how we're going to do it for you. This is the timeline we're working to. This is what you're going to see, blah, 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 blah. And as we've agreed, the price is this. And then you see, you close it off and you say to accept the proposal, sign page two and get it back to me. And as soon as we get that, we'll put stuff in Darius and we'll crack on. So this ABC thing, I'm answering your question here, what do you need to do before Mm. going to the proposal? But this ABC thing is the best order of any sales communication at all. If it's verbal, ask questions, find the A, then have a chat to do the B and then verbally agree the C. If you're doing a proposal, the opening is the A, then you build certainty and then you close it by saying sign page two. If you happen to be doing a B&I thing for 60 seconds, you start with the A. My job is to help companies sell more. That's my afters. Build certainty. I've done it before with this company and this company and this company. And then you close it off. My request this week is I really want to speak to the head of a motor fleet company because I can help them, blah, 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 blah. All right, so ABC is always the best order to sell it. And it's the opposite of what most people do. Because how do most people do it? Instead of saying, there's where you'll be in the future, Darren. Instead, they say, this is where I come from in the past. <laughs> I was founded in 1922. And yeah. I've got seven different shops. And each of them sell different things. And here's a black and white photo of my mum. What are you doing that for? <laughs> so people always talk about their past instead of the customer's future. As we say in Liverpool, it does my head in. <laughs> Oh, you've lost me there with a black and white photo of my mum. The number of <laughs> number of B and I ten minutes we see that have that 
Oh, I, 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 oh, and you want to be polite, but it is just kill me now, isn't it? You, you but again, do, going yeah. to this, you, you do, yeah. And, and I know a lot of people in my B and I chapter are going to be listening to this, and they do have pictures of their mums in their time. I, I know. Apologies, everybody, but th- yeah, this, this, yeah, this is different now. This, this is about selling your services and and getting more referrals, which is what we're we're all about. Um, one thing that is, I, I think. Well, I think it's the most difficult thing in sales, and I personally don't do it. I would hate to do it, and that's cold calling. Yeah. Get how do you yeah. get, how do you get past gatekeepers when you are approaching a, a potential new lead? Okay, um, I uh, get past that by never putting myself through it in the first place. <laughs> that's good. Right, so here we go. Do you like that? I like so, that. So let's say. Um, most of my business comes from my that most two questions. How else can I help you? And who else do you know? So how else, who else? I mean, how and who? There are only three letters and they're even anagrams. How else, who else? How else, who else? Most of my business comes from that. All right? And that's great because I don't have to talk to strangers. Mm. If I wanted to talk to a stranger, I could either go through the gatekeeper of death or I could just go through referrals. So this is how I do it. So let's say, um, let's think of someone who you and I want to talk to. Let's say you and I want to speak to somebody called Jemima. So what, um, I'm not saying you would do this, but let's say you will think, right, I'm going to call, call Jemima then. So you spend ages finding Jemima's number, you cold call Jemima, and you have a little conversation with Jemima, but it doesn't work very well, and then Jemima's gatekeeper gets in the way, blah, blah, blah. What I do is I go on to LinkedIn, and I look at Jemima's profile. And on LinkedIn, it's got two really useful things. I don't know how you use LinkedIn, Darren, but I, the two really good things about LinkedIn. I go on Jemima's profile. One of them, LinkedIn has something called mutual connections. That's people who both I and Jemima are both LinkedIn with. All right. So I look at Jemima's thing, and number five, Ivan Meisner. Number seven, Terry Hamill. And that shows that Ivan and Terry, who you mentioned earlier on, two people who know Jemima, they also know me. So I've got two choices, right? I cold call her and see what happens, or I go to me mate Terry or me mate Ivan and say, hi, boys, could you give me a bit of a lift with something, please? I really want to speak to Jemima, and then specific afters, because I think I can help her sell more, and I know it's hard for her at the minute because of all the cost of living and all that stuff. Mm. I hate cold calling, and I hate gatekeepers. I wouldn't, I don't suppose you could help me, do you, please, could you? <laughs> and so it's great. So if you use mutual connections, it means you avoid ever having to do what you've just asked me. Right? So that's the first thing I use LinkedIn for. Mm. If I can't use LinkedIn for that, let's say I look at Jemima, there's no mutual connections or everyone on there hates me. What I then do is I then have a look to see if Jemima happens to have posted anything. So let's say Jemima posted something a week ago. She was obviously in a bad mood and it was called um, lockdown was better. So clearly she's fed up with seeing people face to face. She preferred working in her pajamas in a bedroom. And so she's written this thing, lockdown was better. Yeah. So what I'll then do is I'll send her a little note based on her post. Because why does anybody post anything on LinkedIn? They post it because they want somebody to give a toss, right? Mm. So she's posted something on LinkedIn. So I just contact her and I say, I loved your post called Lockdown Was Better. It resonated with me because I've got a few views on this myself, blah, blah. Do you know what, Jemima? I'd love to have a quick five-minute chat with you just to share experiences with you. And also I've got a couple of extra things I might help you. I'll call you tomorrow. So in effect, what I'm doing is I'm either finding a mutual connection, oh, Ivan and Terry, one of those can get me in, or if I can't find one of those, I just respond to one of her posts. Mm. Now, can you see, Darren, when I ring the next day, if the gatekeeper says, does Jemima know what the call's regarding? And I go, yeah, I sent her an email yesterday. Is it a sales call? No, it's not. 
It's a call I promised I would make. It's about a post that she wrote called Lockdown Was Better. Um, does she know where you're ringing from? Yes, yeah, in the email I sent her yesterday. Yeah, all the gatekeeper's questions, all the power of the gatekeeper just disappears. Because mm. all the gate is she expecting it? Yeah, I sent an email yesterday. Does she know she regarded? Yeah, I sent an email yesterday. Does she know where you're calling from? Yeah, I sent an email yesterday. <laughs> and so all the gatekeeper's power goes because I sent an email yesterday. And the email I sent yesterday is either saying your post lockdown was better, I'd love to have a chat with you, or the email yesterday said uh, I know Terry like you. I'd love to have a quick chat with you. So I use the I use LinkedIn to get me referrals or to talk about their posts, and that way I avoid that gatekeeper call of doom mm. that you asked the question about. Which which is building rapport, isn't it? If you're messaging them or, or contacting them on on LinkedIn, you're building rapport. Any sort of engagement on social media is rapport. Um, have you got any other tips you could give on on how to build rapport, whether that's before the call or during the call or meeting? Yeah, um, my mum taught me a lot about this. Um, I remember I, I'd done a thing at BNI, and obviously BNI is full of networking goddesses and gods, right? You know, and you talk to all these people and they fly around the room and they're brilliant at everything. Um, and I was teaching a group of BNI directors about how to teach networking. So it's pretty like intense stuff. This. You've got these networking ninjas. I'm talking to the bosses of these networking ninjas, teaching them how to teach networking to people who are, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> scary stuff, right? Mm. And I was talking to my mum, and I said, but I'm feeling a bit intimidated here because all this stuff I do, even at the level I do, the books I've written on it, blah, 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 you're better at networking than I am. And it gets on my nerves. Like, how come you're so good at networking? Like, mums just know everything. Like, how do you know everything? And she said, it's quite simple, really, my boy. Um, I just find out what the other person's interested in, and I talk about that. Oh, there you go. Brilliant. Find out what the other person's interested in and talk about that. So when you're having a conversation with someone, if you want to build rapport, you find what they're interested in and you talk about that. Yeah, so let's say um, you're getting in contact with um, this magical Jemima, you go on a LinkedIn thing to start with and you just see, can you find anything on her profile at all that you've got in common with her? Did you maybe go to the same school? Does she say which football team she supports? Like, I don't know, just anything at all. So you just see, can I find anything that she might be interested in talking about? Yeah. Now, of course, if it's a referral, it's really easy, right? Because when I ring her, I say, oh, hi, Jemima, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. said, yeah, Terry Hamill put us in contact, didn't he? Um, how long have you known Terry? And so straight away, we've got some rapport because we've got a common theme. Or I might say, um, Jemima, your post-lockdown was better. You made me laugh when you, I read it because it's exactly what I thought. Right? Tell me more. So I'm trying to build rapport. Or I might go down and say, um, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions, but before I do... I did notice on LinkedIn you say you're a big Liverpool football club fan. Um, I live in Liverpool, but I support Manchester United, so um, that's quite a good test of my communication skills, really. And then we just have a bit of a joke about that. So you want to find out what the other person's interested in and talk about that as soon as you can. Be itching to find common ground, right? Mm. Be itching to find common ground. And then, of course, the, the, the big thing, and we sort of touched on it earlier, is the actual closing. Yeah. So closing, two words beginning with D you want at the end of any conversation. Two words beginning with D, uh, do and date. So closing, what are we going to do next? And date is when are we next speaking again? So what are we going to do and when are we next speaking? So at the end of this initial call with Jemima, we might say something like, oh, Jemima, it sounds like we might have something that we could explore here. 
Um, I'll tell you what, I'll do... That's my first D. I'll do this. Let me take the action. I'll go and have a look at other people who said similar things to what you've said and some of the work I've done with them to find some things they found helpful. So I'll take that action. Right? Mm. Um, while I'm doing that, maybe could you consider this? Da, 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 da. Brilliant. Date. Uh, when should we have another call? It'll, t- it'll tell me a day or two to find some useful stuff out for you. When? So even at the end of that first that first call, at the end, I'll do this and then date. When are we next speaking? Yep. At the end of the second call, when we get to the proposal, the do might be, so I'll do this. Let me put in writing what we've just all agreed. All right? And all we need is a quick follow-up call for us to agree how we want to do it. So what date should we do for that? So do and date, do and date. So the way you close anything is to say, so who's doing what and date when are we next speaking? And if you always have a do, it means there's always momentum. And if you always have a date, you never get ghosted because you've always got someone in the diary. So you and I... uh, Jolly busy, important chaps, but yet here we are talking. We found time to do it. Why have we found time to do it? Because this time was in our calendar set aside. Mm. The things you have time to do are the things that are in your calendar. So anytime people say they don't have time, it's because they didn't put it in the calendar. I didn't have time to prepare for that meeting. Did you put it in the calendar? No, that's why you didn't have time. I didn't have time to ask for any referrals this week. Did you put time in the calendar to ask for referrals this week? No, that's why. So time and diary mean the same thing, right? So very often customers will say to us, I didn't have time to get back to you. And you say, yeah, did you put it in your diary? No, you didn't. (laughs) So therefore, you always want at the end of every conversation, do and date, do and date. And you don't want to use the word inevitable in selling, but it makes it as inevitable as sales can be that Mm. you are going to have another conversation and that you're not going to get ghosted. Mm. I've noticed the way, the way you, you describe a lot of things. There's a, I think it's fair to say there's a fair bit of passion there. A touch. A touch, a touch. Um, I've been accused of that myself in the past. Um, with you being as, as passionate about this as, as, as you are, is there anything that you believe in or you do or you follow that is contrary to what other industry people believe about selling? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Sorry, I just got interrupted by Siri then. <laughs> yeah, Siri does that, doesn't Bless her and him or whatever. Siri, um, it. it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I look at things differently than than a lot of people do. I mean, you know about this. I think my family background, my mum, who I just mentioned, my networking ninja mum, she's blind. So mm. when I was learning how to speak, the person who taught me how to speak can't see. So I became naturally good at explaining stuff to a blind person. Well, my customers are blind to why they should choose me and their customers are blind as to why they should use them. So I spend a long time thinking about how to communicate with blind people, I guess, who don't see the world that we we do. And as far as passion goes, your passion comes from three things. It has to come from at least one of three things, either what you like as a person. So I'm quite annoyingly positive anyway. Some people have a passion for what they do. Like I simply love preparing tax returns or whatever. Or the third thing you have a passion for is the afters that you cause, like, you know, why people are better off after you. So if you think about your job, you need to have passion because of what you like, what you do, or what you cause after you've done it. What you do, what what you are, what you do, and what you cause. So I happen to be quite um, passionate as a, as a person anyway. It's just what I'm like. Um, I do really quite like my job, but the thing I absolutely buzz off is the afters it causes Mm. so as we're talking now one of the reasons i get really passionate about it is not because oh hooray i'm talking about my proposal technique (laughs) i get passionate because oh hooray if people do this they're going to sell more stuff and i'm being really helpful so 
what I would urge anyone listening to this to think about is like, where do you get your buzz from? Do you get your buzz because of what you like or do you get your buzz from what you do or do you get your buzz from what you cause? So even, uh, choose a thing, I don't know, tax accountancy, all right? Let's say you're a tax accountant. You might really love filling in your tax returns and get a buzz off it. Or you might love the fact you can ring someone up and say, good news, I've saved you enough tax that you'll be able to have an extra family holiday this year. You know, so even if you're not bothered about filling in the tax return, that phone call, like you've got an extra holiday because of me, is cool. So the thing I would urge anyone to do is like think like, what is it that gives you a buzz? Is it what you do, what you cause, or just what you like as a person? Because if you find that passion, it's um, well, it makes life fun, right? Again, I love that. It makes it so simple. It makes it so simple because again, when I'm I'm doing this education slot in a few weeks, it's it's about helping people get more referrals, and it, it's the whole thing that you talked about the afters and what how they help people get to where they are rather than what they do. When you ask people at BNI, you know, what is it you do, or what are they always say things. I'm accountant. I'm a solicitor. I'm a bookkeeper. I'm a web designer. They don't say what they do. They just say what they are. They need to look at what it is they actually do for people because that's what's going to get them the business. That's what's going to get them the referrals. That's what's going to help them sell to those people. But we, we're just yeah, we're just absolutely. not doing it. If you're talking- yeah, that's right. I and mean, if you're in BNI, you could, of course, say, I'm a web designer, and that's fine. And straight away, I'll put you in a box, so you're one of them. But <laughs> if you say something like, um, I help companies um, make sales to people they've never met, you go, what do you mean by that? And so, say, well, we've got this really good website company, and what it does is it helps people make sales to people they've never met. For example, one of our clients is one of the major banks, and we did some things with their website, and their sales went up by £150 million. That's the sort of stuff we do. And so you haven't really used the word website very much. You just have said, make sales to people they've never met, make sales to strangers, make sales to da-da-da. It's almost like you throw the web. That's just the mechanism, the website, just the mechanism. Nobody cares, mm. all right? What they care about is £150 million of sales they made. Wow. It's probably why people keep coming up to me and asking me IT questions. Because they think, well, you're a web designer, you use computers. Yes, yeah, so does the accountant. So does the solicitor. We use them just as much as they do. Why are you asking me about IT? Um, one of the things you, you talked about, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, is, is the speaking. You do a lot of keynote speaking. You've been to countries all over the world uh, speaking. And you mentioned earlier on one of the ways you got some of that work was simply by asking others who else would be interested in me presenting this what what tips could you have for somebody like myself who's who's done some keynotes who's done some presenting but but wants to do more okay so the easiest thing to do is as we said before referrals so go to everyone who's hired you in the past yeah and you can start off as a customer care thing like um, just checking up how are things did my speech last month go okay blah blah blah, blah. and then you can go into the how else or who else so you can either say how else going to help your audience who i met last week or if you want referrals, you might say, um, I'm so pleased you found my talk helpful. Um, do you mind if I pick your brains about something? Of all your other contacts, who else do you know who organises events like this who might find my stuff useful? Oh, Jemima! Who's <laughs> Jemima? How would you advise I approach Jemima? You know, so that, I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, and that's one thing that worked for me with B&I, right? So... I was doing okay in my chapter, and I asked Terry who should I speak to, Terry to Neri to Martin and Gillian to Ivan Meissner, and it was that way. Now, clearly, you've got to be valuable to your audience when you do it. You're not just going to get up on referrals alone. But I love that way of thinking of, of the, like, who else can I help? And other things that you can do if you want more speaking engagements is just be really clear if you want it in a 60 seconds. 
be clear exactly who you want, but as we said before, be clear how they will benefit. Yeah. So if you want to if you want to be hired for a keynote, you might say something like, um, I'm looking for uh, someone who works for a speaker bureau. And the reason that I want someone who works for a speaker bureau is because I have got a topic that a lot of people in the world are talking about at the minute, and speaker bureaus are having trouble sourcing expertise for it. Yeah, And so in fact, now straight away, if I knew a speaker bureau person, I now think you're valuable because you've got unusual expertise. Right? So it's just as we said before, it's all about referrals. Either that or cold call the total stranger, but that just sounds like hard work to me. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound like something I, I'd, I'd want to do, quite frankly. Um, mm. th- th- this has been brilliant. We, we are we are just about out of time now, and I, I, I'm I'm shocked because I've 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 learned so much just by talking to you. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm actually going to enjoy editing this one because I'm just going to be listening to it again as as, as I edit it. So I, I'm I'm really really appreciative of you doing this. Uh, it's been fantastic listening to you, and your your passion is is clearly comes across. Um, as as a final thing, if somebody wants to to work with you or get in touch with you or follow you, what's the best way for them to to do that? Now the easiest way probably is just through LinkedIn. Um so uh my first name is Andy A N D Y and Bounds as in out of bounds B O U N D S. That's right, B O U N D S. I got a letter the other day, I think someone was taking the Mickey and they sent it to Mr. Bowles. So I thought <laughs> I must just let make sure everyone knows how to spell. So Andy but I mean Go through LinkedIn is easy. I mean, I've got like sales training online stuff and I've got this and I've got that. But the easiest thing, if anybody wants to have a conversation, um, and to be honest, sometimes talks like this, they they pique people's interest, but they want to ask about a particular topic. Well, I basically just sit at home in Liverpool with nothing to do and no friends. So (laughs) if anyone's got any questions, just send me an email. I'll gladly just jump on the phone and we'll chat it through. (laughs) That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, Real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. I've enjoyed it. All the best.